This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, June 14th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. Scott Linscombe is kicking himself, still, three years later, for not buying a car in mid-2020. And the car market for buyers has gotten considerably worse since then. But he's finally ready to talk about it, his utter failure to time the car market, and provide some details about how the market has changed and how the Fed seem intent on goosing demand and thus prices going forward. This is not a comfortable subject for you, Scott. And uh, it's not a comfortable subject for me either. Because uh, in early 2020, I had numerous opportunities to buy an extremely inexpensive car. Yeah. Fleets like uh, Enterprise and other car rental places were just liquidating fleets. Because they they needed to. They needed cash. People were not going out, renting cars and going from one place to another. And so if you wouldn't mind, characterize from then to now. Oh, it's been um, I'm, I share your depression, Caleb, because I was in a very similar boat. I even test drove some cars in, I think, April of 2020. And then sadly, I passed. Uh, and now I'm regretting it because... Of course, um, there was a total collapse in demand for automobiles during the early peak lockdown era of the pandemic. So March, April, May of 2020, everyone was stuck in his or her home. No one was selling cars. No one was driving cars and that, of course, with cars, you have a big inventory, you have a giant lot full of new and used cars, you have, as you mentioned, um, rental car companies with nobody renting cars. And so there was this brief period where it really looked like the auto industry was <laughs> collapsing. But of course, that's very good for us consumers. I, with a dented dad wagon, was kind of in need of a, a new car um, and I saw an opportunity, but then I chickened out and boy, am I regretting it. Because, of course, since about June of 2020, a rather unexpected thing happened. People, well, let's actually, let's start on the supply side for the automakers and the rest. So automakers in April, May, canceled a bunch of contracts, particularly with semiconductor manufacturers, because they thought that we were entering a new Great Depression and they were trying to cut costs because, again, they had all this inventory at the time. Key inputs, contracts for these were canceled. At the same time, of course, we had all of the supply chain problems that you might remember. Of course, workers weren't working. Factories weren't humming. Ships weren't running. And then when they started running again, they were all clogged up. So the supply side for automakers was really shut down. But then the giant shock came to the demand side. In the summer of 2020, instead of staying locked in our homes, instead of staying in cities, American consumers... Um, actually started really wanting cars. And a lot of that came because of the omnipresence of remote work, general desire to escape cities. It suddenly, demand for cars not only resumed its 2020, pre-COVID 2020 trend, but actually increased dramatically. So we had a perfect storm of 
decreased supply, increased demand, and problems in the supply chain to boost additional supply, which automakers tried to do, but then they found out that, oh, those chip contracts that they canceled, those semiconductor contracts had been picked up by video game makers and computer makers and handheld mobile device makers, uh, because of course everybody was using all of those products too. Suddenly car makers couldn't make enough cars. And what happens when you have heightened demand and decreased supply? Prices went nuts. As you mentioned, like chips have been in short supply recently. Automakers, in order to try to maintain their profits, have quietly said to themselves, you know what? We've got some chips. We don't have all the chips we want. So we're going to take the chips we have and put them in the higher-end vehicles that we make because we get a larger profit from those vehicles. Right. That makes total sense to me. Uh, it makes some people pretty upset. Yeah. But including me. <laughs> but I get it. And so never mind all of the various regulatory changes that we've made for vehicles going forward. What does the car market look like today? Should I be clutching my dollars to go buy amid the crash in auto production, the glut that some people are expecting? Unfortunately for you and me and for car consumers, the market hasn't reached glut yet, but there are some positive signs. Before I get to those signs, it's just important to note that automakers were in a big hole and... You know, once you remove that potential supply from the market, it's very difficult to just get it back, right? If you end up 2 million units down or whatever in a 10 million unit per year market, that's a pretty hard thing to recoup quickly, even if you had a perfectly operable supply chain. But as you note, automakers realized that actually low inventories are pretty good for boosting prices. And I should note, the price trends in the new car market trickle down to the used car market. Prices for used cars have actually, in terms of their increases, have actually, that's exceeded price increases for, for new cars. I mean, if you look at the consumer price index for used cars, it's nutty. Even today, prices remain quite elevated versus the trends that we would have expected had the pandemic ever happened. But good old supply and demand is, is kind of doing its thing right now. You can see some reason for consumer optimism, at least, right? You know, markets are a constant battle between seller and buyer, right? They're always trying to get the best deal. This is not, uh, you know, greedy corporations versus unwitting or, you know, helpless consumers. It's always a little, you know, a battle in this pricing space. Well, now the inventory situation is turning now you have automakers kind of starting to increase supply and increase inventory because they're battling for market share. Good old competition is doing its thing. Um, and we've, so we've seen some moderation in used car prices and new car prices. But while the increases have slowed down or if not stopped, the actual nominal levels are still pretty much higher, a lot higher, I should say, than they were back when you and I foolishly passed up getting a used car or a new car uh, back in 2020. And then, of course, the other big thing that we have to note on the consumer side are interest rates, right? So 
to the extent you're not in a position to just buy a car with cash, uh, that's a lot of people. You know, car loans today are much more expensive because of the where interest rates are. You know, uh, again, I, I was looking at, it's, it just kills me to even talk about this, you know, a 0% interest loan. Dealers were like, pick a number of months. We don't even care. And of course, on a deeply discounted model, that, that just doesn't exist anymore. But it does look like things are softening up because, of course, the economy is slowing down. Fed's interest rate hikes had done a number on some consumer spending. Consumers are still spending, but just not as much on goods. We all want to go to restaurants and fly places. Of course, again, the supply side, automakers are starting to compete with each other. So as a unlicensed financial advisor, I would say you and I, we need to wait a little longer, maybe in December, you know, during the Toyotathon, related we'll be able to, to uh, tell me how get much back into the related. market, but it's not there yet. So two things, EV subsidies and domestic content requirements for vehicles that are sold in the U.S.? You know, certainly there are these kind of supply and demand things going on that are going on in, in a lot of markets. It's also undeniably true that the federal government is in some ways doing all it can to increase the cost of production for domestic automobiles. Before we even get into the EV stuff, I'd be remiss not to mention that we continue to have tariffs on steel and aluminum that raise the price of automobiles. And steel and aluminum are a pretty substantial chunk of the cost of a new car. Um, we also have discrete tariffs on tires and auto parts and other things that are just going to boost the cost of production. But it's much worse in the EV space because the Inflation Reduction Act included subsidies for electric vehicles, which, of course, is going pretty substantial, 7500 bucks a car, uh, which is going to boost demand for EVs. But those are conditioned on those EVs being made in America uh, and using American steel. It's always American steel. And that's going to increase the cost of production as well. So you have kind of a handful of qualifying automobiles that are all vying for these subsidies. And while less expensive models, for example, Volkswagen just came out with a pretty cool one in Europe that doesn't qualify. It's about 20 grand, but doesn't qualify for the subsidy. And so, um, you know, we're basically doing everything we can on the policy side to goose those prices a little more um, and that, you know, to, again, to consumers' detriment. Bigger picture here, when you radically reshape supply chains with uh, a sort of an exogenous shock, it takes a while for those things to get, to get better and fix themselves yeah. while all parties involved are trying to fix their individual situation. Yeah. They are, in fact, working to recreate supply chains. Yeah, and of course, policymakers think that they have these very easy switches to flip, that they can somehow fix the supply chain issues that were experienced all around the world that were related to seismic shocks to supply and demand. I mean, really, historically global shocks. And that as you noted, private actors are already trying to fix. I mean, you know, the, the semiconductor situation is really the best example. Contrary to what you might hear out of Washington, 
the chip shortage in the automotive space had very, very little to do with a lack of domestic production of chips, had very little to do with a lack of industrial policy here in the United States or, you know, offshoring to Taiwan or Korea or whatever. In reality, it was a basic story of bad business decisions by most automakers to cancel those chip contracts that they couldn't then suddenly get back. Of course, by the time any of the chip subsidies that we've now implemented on those dubious grounds come to fruition, the chip shortage for the automotive sector is going to be long gone because it's basically long gone right now. Supply chains are mainly back to normal. And yet now we have all these semiconductor manufacturing facilities around the country that are going up to solve a problem that the market has solved itself. Scott Linscombe is Vice President for General Economics at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.